Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hey there, this is Matt Leggetti, your favorite comic book yeti. Did you know that if enough people listen to this podcast, advertisers give us money? Money we can then use to, say, pay our journalists. It's wild. Totally unrelated, we make this podcast using Anchor by Spotify. If you haven't heard about Anchor by Spotify, it's the easiest way to make a podcast with everything you need all in one place. Even Grant can do it, and he's a grandpa when it comes to technology. Love you, Grant. Let me fill you in on what some of us in the industry call reasons to believe. Anchor has tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. When hosting on Anchor, you can distribute your podcast on listening platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcast, and more and they make it super easy. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. And best of all, Anchor's totally free, which is great when you're, say, a comic book journalism website who lives on donations and boyish charm. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. That's anchor.fm. And hey, I love you. You are listening to Into the Comics Cave with your host, comic book heartthrob, Grant Stoy. Hello, uh, again, uh, you're listening to this in the new the new year, which is awesome. Thank you. Uh, still don't know why, but thank you. Um, and today we have on not just uh, an award-winning comic writer and a, not just a Wu-Tang enthusiast, but a role model. Dare I say, uh, we have Jared Luhuan. How you doing, Jared? Uh, I'm good. Role model is not uh, <laughs> something often thrown around. So yeah, yeah, that would really sailing high now. <laughs> I think you need to start like having a an online shop with a shirt that just said Jared is a role model. Yeah. So 
my mom would probably buy that out. If I just needed like have the one, you only need one good customer, you know. <laughs> it's true. Uh, and one thing about Jared that everyone knows is that Texas born and bred. So I want to hear all about the born and and well, maybe not the the breeding part, but the born part. <laughs> Let's go into <laughs> like where'd you grow up in Texas? Did you grow up in Texas? I did. Um, I was born in, born and raised in Del Rio, Texas. Uh, it is a relatively small, it's, it's I don't know, Texas small is like, there's 10 people that live here. So it's, it's got like 10,000, 50,000 people. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, it's, it's like three miles from the Mexico border. Uh, I always describe it as technically the United States, but basically Mexico. Um, oh, wow. but yeah, and it's got the biggest man-made lake in Texas, Lake Amistad. Shout out Lake Amistad. Really? Yeah, it's a really weird point of pride, but yes, yes, that is that is true. <laughs> Do you know what the point of ma- like making that lake was? Um, no, I, I, <laughs> I really wish I did right now because I brought it up, but um, no, I, I think it's I, I think it was built in part of a water sharing treaty with Mexico. Uh, so it helped control, not the Rio Grande, but some other river, maybe the Rio Grande. I don't think so, because the Rio Grande's kind of dirty. But uh, yeah, so I'm pretty sure that's what why it was built there, because they, they share water for, from each other. Uh, Mexico and, and Del Rio, they have like an, an, a, a deal. But Oh, that's rad. Yeah, it's wild, right? Droughts. Oh, gosh. So <laughs> <laughs> did y'all get to like go across the border and just like kick it up and then come back? Yeah. Um, we did that a lot when I was a kid, my parents and I would go over pretty regularly. Uh, I would say, I would say every, every other weekend, at least once or twice a month we'd go. Um, when the cartels moved in, when I was in high school, uh, yeah, I, one day we'll talk about my cartel stories, but, um, not today, but we'll, we, (laughs) maybe, but uh, we, uh, When they got bad, we stopped going. Um, I did go as a teenager a couple times to drink uh, Sar Mom, and uh, that was <laughs> kind of cool. But mostly, like it was, it was pretty. I never had too many terrifying experiences with the cartel. But yeah, after like it did get pretty bad while I was in high school. Nobody was going over by the time I graduated. Oh, um, that's a bummer. Yeah, I think they chilled that out because the cartel doesn't really care about Acuna anymore, uh, which is the sister city from from Del Rio. Uh, they're they're more interested in in smuggling through like El Paso and um, it's El Paso and some other one I can't think of further south than, than Del Rio, but that's kind of like their preferred routes now. But yeah, I grew up I grew up knowing um, a lot of undocumented people, uh, which is really blows people's minds because it was always just like that we had friends where if you were getting in trouble and you were trying to like hide away from the cops because we were we were doing hood, hood rep stuff um <laughs> it was like hey you can't go to so-and-so's house because his grandma will get deported so we were like okay you know and that was just common knowledge amongst our friend group uh so that was yeah it, it was like a really cool place uh it's really nice and it's got something it has like the best mexican food on this side of of the border it also has a really crazy good burger place called salas um, it's so good. It's so good. I know that's weird, but it's really, really good. Well, I mean, this is 
I want to hear about the Mexican food. Like I'm, I'm sure I don't. I'm not disparaging the burgers at all, but I want to hear about like the tamales that you guys used to have. Oh, dude. Yeah, so, so let me, speaking of tamales, let me tell you. This is a good story for Del Rio. Um, my dad, <laughs> I, I had moved out. I was living in in where I live now, in West Texas. Um, I, I went down to see my dad to see my parents. And we, I was like, oh, you know, are we going to get tamales? And he was like, yeah, we'll get some tamales while you're here. And then later on, like, without saying anything, he's like, hey, you know, let's go. Let's go to H-E-B. And I was like, okay, H-E-B is like a local Texas grocery store. Um, so we go, right, and we park off to the side of the H-E-B. And, uh, and I'm looking at him, and I'm, like, getting ready to get out of the car. And he's like, no, 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 wait, wait, wait. And, and I was like, okay, you know, well, what's, dad, what's going on? And he goes, no, we're just waiting. We're just going to meet someone. So this this car with Mexico license plates pulls up, right? And my dad gets out. And my dad, Spanish was his first language. So they're speaking Spanish. I speak almost no Spanish. So I, I don't know what they're talking about. And I see him give him cash. And the guy gives him like a bag. And my dad comes back to the car. And I was like, did, did I just watch you buy drugs? You know, like, that's a real <laughs> option, you know? And he, he goes what and he, and he gives me the bag and it's two dozen tamales right? oh my god fine from somebody who's from mexico who stabs them in their van that sounds amazing <laughs> and they were very good they were oh, very good that's oh yeah like being a, a northern white person i don't get as much good mexican food as one would imagine if you can believe it <laughs> So, just, so like living vicariously through that is just lovely. You you I think like if you ever Del Rio is like cool for a lot of reasons. If you really like fishing, can that could be your bag? But uh no, dude, every time I go, I have like my my wife and I I have an itinerary and I'm like, these are the restaurants that I have to eat at. Yes. Now I have to go to Chintos, I have to go to Marcelinos, I have to go to Salas, and I'm like, and she's like, Okay, like you know, we'll figure it out. And I'm like, I have to, I can't, I can't, <laughs> I'm gonna have to stay another day if we don't hit all these places. So <laughs> Like, what was it like growing up in, in a place like that? I imagine just, gosh, it, it sounds lovely. So, <laughs> uh, it, it was rough. It was rough. Um, so, like, part of Del Rio has a really, if you're, if you're, I was a problem kid, right? I was in trouble a lot. Uh, everybody knew that I was, I was a troublemaker. And, and like, I was, I was doing things I shouldn't have been doing and I had no business doing. But, so, like, the thing is, is when you're that kid, everybody knows mm. and has no problem talking about you uh, in a derogatory way. And that sucked. So, like, you know, when I was 14, I had a teacher flat out tell me she didn't believe I was going to graduate high school. Like, we're in class. Oh, He's like, yeah, no, like, you're, you're, you're not going to college. You're not going to graduate high school. I'm like, let's move on. And and so that stuff like was rough because it's a smaller town. Um, but I I I love visiting a lot as an adult. Uh, I think that I like it more as an adult than I did ever as a teenager because like I'm not there all the time, you know. <laughs> like I'm not there to be get in trouble. But so it was it was really nice. And like the thing about Del Rio that I never expected until I moved is that Del Rio is predominantly Mexican, right? That's the we it, the, it's their span every I, I can't even tell you how many i had to learn how to order burger king and mcdonald's in, in spanish because people there just didn't they couldn't take your order in english oh, wow. and uh 
And it's really crazy because I thought that was how it was everywhere, right? I just thought Mexicans were everywhere. And then I moved to, yeah. And then I moved to West Texas and where the demographic is completely flipped. And uh, it like shocked me, right? Like it blew my mind that, that Mexicans weren't in all the places I thought they were. So it was really, but that's cool though, right? Cause like, if you have to grow up being that ingrained into your culture, into your history, and that's kind of cool. Like I have a lot of appreciation for that. Um, but it was, it was really at 18 realizing that, that it's not just TV. The white people are literally everywhere, you know, oh, yeah. <laughs> it's wild. Yeah. You can't, you can't throw a stone without hitting a white person. I know. And they're, 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 I got like all my, I'm, I think I'm the only, my wife says that I'm not, but I'm pretty sure I'm the only Mexican <laughs> in our neighborhood right now. And that always makes me a little nervous. And she tells me that she always sees them, but she never sees them when she's with me. So oh, convenient. Yeah. Yeah. Who are all these secret Mexicans that are hiding from me? You know, like. <laughs> so I'm curious, when did uh, like the troublemaking start? And was that kind of just like a product of being in a, a smaller community? Um so I was like getting into trouble when I was 14. I got bullied real bad as a kid mm. and it made me really angry and resentful. And um, I, my goal was right when I started getting in trouble, I started noticing people were like, Oh, like this guy sucks. Jared's worthless. And so I was just like committed to the bit, right? Like I just, I was just like, okay, cool. And um, yeah, I just got like really focused on, angrily proving people right I guess I don't know because I didn't because like I graduated high school I went to college you know I I I have two degrees and um so I don't know if like that's a thing that (laughs) I did very well but I was just really I was just a really angry kid um my parents both worked super hard and we weren't like I wasn't poor poor until I moved and Mm -hmm. and I was poor poor in in college but uh I was just like getting and, and that's like well, I'm committing crimes because I want to, you know? There's yeah. No I'm just a bratty kid uh, looking to cause trouble. And so, but it's fine now. Like, I I, I got over that, obviously, you know? Um, yeah. And when did that, that switch kind of flip for you? I don't know if it really flipped until I was, until I was 25, right? Because um, it was 2016. And I've been really public about, I'm not going to, I had like a real depression problem. Right. And I, I almost made some very bad choices mm-hmm. and uh, because I was angry and I had like lived my whole life with this anger being the driving point, right. That I got to this point where there wasn't anything to be angry about. Right. I had done the things people said I wasn't going to be able to do. So what do I do now? Right. Mm-hmm. Cause there's nothing to oppose. And I got super lost. I uh, had a big existential crisis. Um, and I ended up doing, um, that was when I realized that I had to like make a change as to who I was as a person. And that's when I started therapy. And uh, nice. I, yeah, dude, and my therapist was super awesome. And she was, she was great. Uh, and she really helped me realize all these things that I had built up, um, tra- how I dealt with traumas, how I had, 
developed all these resentments and all this where this anger was coming from. And unfortunately, like, you know, I, I don't, I don't know if sitting here saying I'm like, you know, an all-star of mental health, but uh, <laughs> she definitely like helped me not just figure out how to deal with things better and to let some of that stuff go, but to like push myself with something that isn't just the negativity, right. Doing it yeah. because I want to. And that, that's like one of those really important life lessons I didn't fully grasp until then. And when did the, the arts kind of enter your life? Cause like that, and that's including like, music and writing yeah so my mom's a teacher uh and so i've been reading since since she could make me uh (laughs) she she we read completely different stuff uh which i always think is really funny because i try and get my mom books that i think she'll like and that i think i really like and i think she'll like and she hates them all the time oh and and yeah but we just have completely different tastes so I was reading since I was a kid. I was really into novels. I was I, I was not a Harry Potter kid, uh, thankfully. Yeah, <laughs> hindsight. Um, but I got like really into Star Wars and like I think I think like movies and, and books is was like my ground base of of where everything else came from. Right. I'm I, I obsessively watched movies. I would read anything I could get my hands on. Um, and yeah, and then I music. Uh, really hit me when I was 14 and I think it hit me at 14. Cause they're like, I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life at that age, but I knew I couldn't play music. <laughs> I knew that was not an option for me. Like, was that I, not for I, lack of trying or no, I tried guitar. I never even tried a guitar. I would never in my life be able to convince my mom and dad to get me a drum set. So <laughs> uh, I tried bass and I was an okay bassist until I realized I, I wasn't playing it correctly. So it was actually like I was lessening it. And, and but so I really, and I can't sing. It's, it's, it's awful. I, I, and <laughs> so like my whole bit was, this is something that's so far out of my grasp. And that's what I love about it is that I can't do this. You know, like, I feel like if I really applied myself, I could probably, you know, carve out a statue, you know, but, yeah. but I could maybe paint something decent, but I can't, I can't write music at all. And um, so, yeah, at 14 I was, and I was angry. So it was all a lot of metal. Um, and then that, and when I got into my twenties, it kind of, I switched gears into listening to more hip hop, but like, I'm a real diehard fan of, of blues. Um, I really like soul. Uh, but I have like weird, weird mu- music taste. It's predominantly, you know, hip hop, and and but there's like also like James Brown and Muddy Waters and Eric Clapton. Uh, I don't really listen. I, I there's bands, metal bands, I still really like. I just don't listen to it as often as I I did. That's awesome. So when did you try your hand at at creating at writing? I think I wrote. I've always been something of like, I've always liked writing. Uh, when I was a kid, I wrote a story about a guy who became a shark and ate my childhood enemy. No, this uh, sounds great. It was awesome. You know, and the best part about having a teacher for a mom is that the teacher knows her phone number right then and there. So she oh. can call her and tell her, hey, your kid just drew a shark devouring his childhood nemesis. Uh, so that was fun. But... <laughs> I think like I got really serious about writing uh, when I was about 16, 17, where I was like, 
this is something that I really like doing. I really enjoy, I like storytelling in general. Right. And, and that's usually what I'm doing when I'm sitting around with people is that I'm, I'm really, I really like listening to people telling stories and, and telling them in turn. And so, uh, that's where I figured out that I wanted to do it. I didn't get serious about it until I was, until I was 25, whenever I figured everything else out, you know, uh, I did not believe up, up until that point that writing was even an option for me. Um, I was really good. So one of my degrees is in philosophy and my professors were really into my writing and kept telling me that. And I really wanted to do something like that. And I then I, there's like a I I almost went and got my PhD in philosophy and some things oh, wow. yeah uh, I had gotten a really nice offer but some things went wrong with it and then um, I was gonna I have my other degree is in political science and I was going to go into being working for advocacy groups uh, because I did I did some uh, act- immigration rights activism uh, during my college years so I wanted to go into something like that and all I could find is uh unpaid internships in cities that cost like 10 times where i live of course so that was not an option right because my parents did my parents couldn't pay for me to not have a job for six months <laughs> and uh so then i was like i figured out all that stuff and i was like man i really love writing I, I i should give it like an honest chance and i gave every everything writing a chance to like figure out what i wanted to do it in and it, comics, because I had read a lot of manga when I was a teenager. Um, I had read Western comics, and I'd been reading, you know, Western comics for most of my adult life. And uh, I couldn't get into prose. It's just not something that I have fun with. It it, mm-hmm. it almost feels like a chore more than than I'm enjoying it. Uh, but I had the opposite effect when I was doing comics. When I was when I was writing scripts. When I write scripts now. I can easily lose four or five hours out of my day because I'll just sit there and and knock it all out. And um, that's where I had a lot of fun with that. I've had a lot of fun during the whole process of of pencils, pen, inks, colors, letters. Um, I really enjoy the editorial experience too. Every part of the the whole making process is something that I just have like a a wealth of fun in. And as I've gotten better in comics and I've found more of the nuance in it, um, it's I've enjoyed it like twice as much, and so it's just something that I, I couldn't stop doing. What was it like the first time you got a page back from an artist? Uh, like, it was like seeing light for the first time, right? Because because it's literally like that was the that came from from here, right? right. Your brain imagined something, and somebody else brought it into existence this thing doesn't exist without the certain synapses of your fucking brain working in the right spots and so it just it just blew my mind like the way that it's something could come from like an imagine your imagination fired off into into something real it, it was really blew it blew my mind and the script was awful <laughs> <laughs> it was terrible but but it was i still i think i have a, a i don't know if i have it around here but um yeah i still have a page from that uh that i just kind of look at every now and then to to remind myself of that first time what uh may i ask what that first comic was so it was it was a pitch called hunters right and interested yeah it was about 
Oh man, this story sucks so much. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) So when I wrote it, I had just started therapy. So Mm -hmm. I was still really mad. And the story was about um, these, these, these two kids, they get into a shelter uh, right as the as as a bunch of nuclear bombs drop across the United States, and uh, it's an older sister and her little brother, and they're like in this bunker, and they finally realize that it's actually this a military facility because of course, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, and the whole plan that of the military is to keep everybody underground, and then in like five years they come back out. And they rebuild the country and exact vengeance. I don't know. And it, I, I sure, I'm sure I had a plan then. I don't <laughs> remember what it was. But she, like, the older sister ends up having to become, like, this trained killer. And she gets, like, out of this tunnel for the first time in five years. And in, like, two days, her brother dies. What the fuck, and, dude? And it, yeah. So, and the whole thing is about how her failures, she spent all that time preparing for something only to fail immediately. And so it's about her on this weird quest of trying to get vengeance on the people that killed her brother while also trying to like figure out what she was going to do with herself and how like it was like a i think i had it planned for like 15 20 issues and she was going to wind up like keeping trying to fight something until there was nothing left to fight and then she was going to die and it was angry and weird and not all that original and rest in peace but the art was fantastic <laughs> I was gonna say, if modern Jared takes a swing at that, I think that might actually be good because all that like character work sounded good. Yeah, like I thought it was a funny twist too, right? Like the brother's like dead at the end of the first issue, right? You yeah. really think this is a whole thing, and it was. Good. But I don't know. I don't know if modern Jared could write it. You know, I I feel like that's one of those angry, super mm-hmm. angry man things, and I don't know if I could do that as somebody who's like got a kid now has a wife has a bunch of animals and yeah sometimes life kind of sucks but usually it's pretty awesome you know and so i don't know if i like could commit to to being like (laughs) mad you know (laughs) also like finding that headspace again is would be really trippy yeah yeah i I think like mario and i mario candelaria uh and i have talked a couple times about getting into this headspace for your characters and uh, usually I'm writing mine, like, with a pretty close line of separation. Like, usually all my characters are just parts of me in some mm-hmm. way. And, uh, but yeah, I, I, like, I don't know if I could ever, I don't know if I'd want to dredge all that up, but I don't think I could. I, I really don't. I'm, I'm, like, three times happier than I've ever been, even on my worst days now, uh, which I sometimes need to remind myself. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, like, I just, I'm just not that angry i'm just chilling you know <laughs> what was the the first book that you put out that you were like this is the hot shit i like this that you're not like critical of now i think that dry foot issue number three is 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 the the issue that i still think um is one of my best written works uh yet 
like I'm, I'm proud of everything. Uh, there's there's obviously like all writers like things that we were critical of, but I, I read issue three from Dryfoot anytime that I get like really in my own head, and I'm always like, it's a banger, you know, like all of that shit got set up. All of that, there was, there's, like, one of my favorite parts, right, is that they, if you haven't read Dry Foot, spoilers, um, (laughs) you should have have already read it. You should feel bad for not reading it. Absolutely. There's a a scene in it where, um, God, she's my favorite character, and I can't remember her name. Mari? Mari, yeah, Mariana. She picks up a gun, and she aims it at the villain. And the villain says, you shouldn't put your finger on the trigger unless you're actually going to pull it. Because he doesn't believe she's going to, right? And then a few pages later, there's a tug of war between two friends over a gun. And their finger, one of their fingers is on the trigger. And in the accident, it pulls and it fires and it kills them. And I'm so abundantly proud of that sequence. Because it, it, I think it's like a really good case of me burying the lead. Like it's there that's like a relevant line. It's just not in the way that you think. Mm-hmm. And I'm super proud of that moment. I, I really do think that that was like, that, that was, that's my best written issue or probably book period. Um, like if I had to choose one, that's so, yeah. So spoilers, but also by dry foot. <laughs> Seriously. I remember messaging you after I read that issue and I was like, what the hell are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> I could, I could not believe Mad Cave let me do that. I really <laughs> thought, that was one of those, like, just uh, my intrinsically rebellious nature, right? I was just like, there's no way they're going to let me kill a kid in this book, right? And then they did. Nobody stopped me. Like, nobody even questioned it. They were like, this is awesome. <laughs> Hello there. My name is Don Cardenas, and I'm here to invite you to check out my podcast, the 2021 Grantee Award-winning Comics Coffee Medal, where I interview creatives in, around, and about the worlds of, you guessed it, comics, coffee, and metal. I've already had such amazing guests on my show, including, but not limited to, Liana Kangas, Mike Norton, John O'Diener, Michael Conrad, Sophie Campbell, Guitar Max Carlisle, Andrew Baina, and of course, the word bros themselves, Bob and Kevin. Comics, Coffee, Metal is available on all the major podcast services, and you can find it directly at comicscoffeemetal.com. I hope to see you there, and now I return you to Into the Comics Cave. With the amazing, awesome, talented, um, tall, handsome, uh, what else did I say? Definitely over six feet tall, smells good like lavender and motorcycle grease. Is that right? Motorcycle grease? Alright. Grant Stoy. There, I said it. Get my money now. So, Jared, I got a question. Do you think it's fucked up that Goof Troop poses the quest or the the scenario that Disney characters can achieve climax? No, shouldn't I feel like we should presume all characters can climax until unless they're dating Batman, which is <laughs> obviously a deep Twitter discourse <laughs> joke right there, but. Uh, or, or unless they like explicitly say so, we should always presume that every character we see in any media is capable of climaxing. Really? Yes. Even Sylvester the Cat. And especially Foghorn Leghorn. 
See, this just gets into weird territory where it's like, that assumes that My Little Ponies, they can achieve climax. Um, I'm sure there is a My Little Pony fan out there that can prove they do with some fanfic. Oh, God. Uh, I feel like that's Pandora's box that needs to <laughs> that's, sh- clamp shut. We're, we're two Google searches away from having <laughs> way too much information. <laughs> so, man... I didn't expect you to take like this galaxy brain approach to, to the is it fucked up question. That's that, I think you just blew my mind. It's got to be, you, you know, you got to take the route less traveled, you know. So now now we got to dive into this a little bit further. So when when Goofy has Max, like that's just one has to assume straight up uh, birds and bees, vaginal birth. But if Donald Duck were to knock up Daisy Duck, there would be an egg involved, correct? Yes. Do you think that's kind of fucked up? That a talking thing comes out of an egg? Well, we come out of eggs, right? Just uh, not in a shell, right? I mean, if you wanna, if you wanna get like <laughs> real nasty about it, yeah. <laughs> How many degrees from eggs are we all? You know, like, <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, I don't know. I don't. I don't have. I'm. I, I consider myself something of like a cultural anarchist, right? Like, I. I'm like there are. Let's just do like the craziest possible shit. Mm-hmm. And uh, so yeah, we're all. It's it's all just degrees of eggs, man. Uh, yeah, I'm yeah. good with that. Yeah, Mickey Mouse Fox. Yeah, I mean, I would hope so. If if you have to walk around singing and dancing uh, for the the enjoyment of children, I feel like you should you should be able to climax. And also going back to duck duck anatomy, we're assuming that Scrooge McDuck, Donald Duck, all the other male ducks, they have corkscrew penises. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I didn't. I did not expect that fact right off the top of your head. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's one of the things that uh, Jay Sheck and I bonded over was talking about <laughs> curly dogs. That's the least surprising response. <laughs> <laughs> like if I had to pick two people to, to discuss that, that would be the combination I would choose. Oh, so now that, that that's out of the way... <laughs> We are going to hammer down the door of uh, the five questions we ask every guest. These are questions that we base off of James Lipton's Inside the Actors Studio. Are you ready? Yeah. So, number one, what is your personal favorite sequential art sound effect? Okay, this is a really specific example. I love it. Uh, There is, I believe it is the final issue of Assassination. Um, I don't remember who wrote it, but I know Erica Henderson did the art, right? Okay. And at the at the end, when he's when they're killing the main bad guy, um, there's a panel where the trigger's pulled, the bullet's firing, there's blood spatter, and in big letters behind it, framing this gunshot, it just says "fucked," <laughs> <laughs> and. <laughs> The idea that that's that's sort of the sound effect. That's my all time favorite. That's a good one. I like. I love it when, like, the action or the verb itself gets turned into the effect. I love that. I think that's the coolest thing. 
And when it works, like, I don't know if you've read Assassination, but they do that often. And it's really funny and it, it works super well. And I think that's probably one of the things I've stolen from, um, like, outright is that I try and, and in sound effects, I'll try and slip in, you know, like actual verb sound effects because I think it's I think it's funny and I think it just breaks it up. Sometimes you can only type boom and bang and wood so many times. You gotta mm-hmm. you gotta throw in a, a fucked. <laughs> yeah, and kind of trailing off of that, what's something about the medium of sequential art that you love? That I love. Um, I don't. I really love collaboration. I, I think. Ooh, yeah. That's honest to God, my favorite part. Um, I really like working with with other people on something. But like on the other side of the book, right, as a reader, I, I like that comics has this unique ability to pause on a moment that that other art forms like, like film, TV, you know, things like that uh, kind of blink and you miss it. Even video games, you know, like it, it happens and it's gone. I like the comics have it where you can kind of sit there and marinate on a moment. Um, if anybody who's read Saga has had those moments where you're just kind of like looking at this page and what's just happened and kind of just letting it soak in. Um, I think that's such a unique thing to comics and it makes it such a, an interesting and fascinating medium because of that. Yeah. And on the, the flip side of that coin, what's something about sequential art that you dislike i hate the industry yeah it's it's you know without without going into any any details Mm -hmm. uh there's a lot of predators in this industry and and they're out and not just ideas right because we saw with there's a lot of men who who are have been real nasty in comics as well Uh, but this industry is full of people who want to take advantage of you and and that sucks because there's a lot of people doing really amazing work. Um, there's a lot of people doing just brilliant comics work that that don't I don't think get anywhere near the credit they deserve. Um, and it makes it harder for I think new new newcomers that that are coming up in the industry. Like that itself can feel like a giant wall. Um, I had a person reach out to me about a contract for. <laughs> a publisher that they wanted the publisher, if you couldn't deliver, they weren't going to pay you anything. And if you couldn't deliver the book, you would have to pay them a hundred dollars. How does that make sense? Yeah. And that's, that's what I told him. I was like, bro, don't even sign that. And he, and he was like, well, I guess I can ask, talk to a lawyer and see if they'd be willing to take it out. And I was like, no, tell them to go fuck themselves and put that shit on Kickstarter. Dude, if you're going to, if you're going to pay for the whole thing, do it your own way. Like, don't, don't fuck that. You know, mm-hmm. but there's things like that. And, and it sucks because there's, there's probably a lot of really talented people that are getting kept out of our industry and uh, we're going to hurt for it in the long term. But, you know, that's, I think that's just kind of the dark side of capitalism, right? Like maybe, yeah. maybe everything kind of sucks. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. But yeah, it's, that's that's my least favorite part. Uh, gotta love late-stage capitalism. Yeah, amen. So, I got some bad news for you. You, uh, we just found this car that you were sitting in, and you actually choked to death on uh, an illegal ill-gotten tamale. 
Oh man, yeah, that's um, the, that's the most believable cause of death <laughs> ever me. Yeah, just uh, we trace it back to this unmarked van that drove up from Mexico. It's really weird. Um, so you're dead. Let's say you go to heaven. You show up at the pearly gates, and you are greeted by Jacob Kurtzberg, aka Jack Kirby, the Godfather of comics. And what do you hope he says to you? That Mexican with sword shit is dope. <laughs> That's that's all I want, and then we would we would dab it up, you know, and uh, and and he would be down with it. Um, that's that's all I want from Jack Kirby. God bless him. And if we could just tangent a little bit, uh, like the evolution of the flippant. I want to see Mexican with swords comment on Twitter to actually making that comic was just staggering. It was so cool. Yeah, um, I'm a crazy person, and. Uh, <laughs> I was like, you know, maybe I'm going to write a pitch for something like this. And then I was like, you know what? No, this is for the people. We got to crowdfund it. And uh, yeah, but that was like, that was probably the, the the craziest sequence, like seven months. You know, Twitter Twitter basically got me to write a book. Um, <laughs> now I'm writing a follow-up. So I guess that's what I get. <laughs> well, dude. Thank you so much for for joining us. Where can folks find you on socials? Yeah, so on Twitter and Instagram, um, I'm at Jared Lujan, uh, J-A-R-R-E-D-L-U-J-A-N. And you can also go to my website at LujanWritesLikeAPen.com, and you can sign up for my newsletter. Uh, I haven't sent one out this month, so... Um, hopefully by the time you hear this in 2022, I've gotten my shit together. <laughs> I'm putting it out again, but I put like a bunch of like sneak peeks and stuff. And, and so I'll have stuff to show in January as well. Um, so yeah, fun times and okay. believe in yourself. Hey, where, where can people go if they want to give you money? You can buy. Oh, so we're about to have, we don't have a store open yet, but, um, all the devils are here. We'll be opening a storefront. Uh, in January 2022, I believe, um, if everything goes according to plan. So if that, if you missed out on our Kickstarter, you can always just go and check that out right now. Otherwise, you know, live your life. Oh, yeah. Well, dude, I need thank a Venmo you. If I can plug it then, you know, I don't have a Venmo because I don't understand technology. <laughs> dude, it's all wacky, but we will find a way to put money in your hands. And in the meantime, <laughs> thank you for putting your voice in my ears. Thank you. This has been a Comic Book Yeti production. You can find new episodes on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and anywhere podcasts stream. For more information on the Comic Book Yeti, please visit comicbookyeti.com. And for more of Grant, visit grantstoy.com or on Twitter at Grant and Stuff.